It was a wacky week in the State House, kind of, so we're fortunate today to have our State House and Politics Chief, Rick Ruan, in the house. We'll be talking about some of the wackiness. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Rick, Layla Tassi, and Lisa Garvin. Laura Johnston has the day off. We're going to start with a cannabis-related story, but it's an unusual one. It was our highest-rated news story when I looked yesterday. That's why we're starting with it instead of the ugly news. Layla, what is the Cleveland School of Cannabis, and how rigorous is its curriculum? The Cleveland School of Cannabis, which I had never heard of before reporter Hannah Drown brought us this story, this is the only state-approved career school for cannabis education east of Colorado. Can you believe that? <laughs> That's crazy. Wow. They're they're located in, in Independence, and they've been offering cannabis education to students from more than 28 states since 2017. Hannah is going to write more about this school and all of their course offerings for a story over the holidays. But yesterday, she told us about a special course that they developed specifically to launch this week, just as it becomes legal to grow your own marijuana at home. The course is called My First Plant, and it's a 16-week program that takes you from, you know, basically seed to weed, (laughs) you might say, the whole growing process. The program will be led by instructor Zach Simcoe, who is Ohio's first and only certified ganjier. That's a licensed expert in the history, science, genetics, cultivation, processing, and consumption of cannabis. Wait, did you call it ganjier? So it's like ganja? Yes, but like a sommelier, <laughs> but ganjier. Okay. <laughs> uh, or bud I mean, tender, yeah. Honestly, but more than a bud tender. This guy is the only one in Ohio who has passed this extremely rigorous uh, process of certification. I think he alone would make a great story. But apparently, you know, it's similar to a, a wine sommelier. You have to, you know, be – there's online training. <laughs> there's in-person coursework and passing this very rigorous exam. Few people who take the test pass this. But anyway, the class that he's going to be leading here is completely virtual, and it includes uh, a welcome box that every student receives in the mail containing everything that they will need for homegrown cannabis, such as a grow tent, seeds, nutrients, package, fans, lights, soil, and a journal. (laughs) And the box also includes a video that explains the program and instructions for how to put the tent together. The value of those items alone is apparently between 800 800 and 900 bucks, but the course tuition is about $2,000. And students learn about the equipment, soil, pH, humidity, all that stuff. And Simcoe will walk them through every step of a plant's life cycle, which is 16 weeks, the length of the course. So Mm -hmm. by the last class, students might be ready to harvest and they'll learn the basics of that process and drying the flower for their personal use. All right. We, we talked about this earlier in the week or last week because we had a story about how to grow weed. And we talked about that it grows like a weed. It's kind of hard to screw up. Why do you need 16 weeks? It sounds like weed is easier to grow than garden vegetables. It really isn't. It isn't? Uh, trust me. To grow good weed is not easy. <laughs> There you go. I'm going to let Lisa take this question. Go. (laughs) No, and we did. I because I had that story last week on the podcast, and they were telling that people should start with soil. Newbies should start with soil, but they have to constantly amend the soil. It's not like you throw the seeds and they grow and it's wonderful. You have to constantly monitor the nutrients, the moisture, sunlight, all of that. Is uh, is this course in demand, Layla? 
I'm not sure how many are enrolled so far, um, but I, I imagine that lots of people will be interested in this. 2000 bucks is nothing to sneeze at, though. I mean, that's an investment in this. So so we'll see who signs up. Well, depending yeah, on how many how many ounces you grow, it could you know it changes what your what the cost of your marijuana is. So do they have a, a marijuana version of a cocktail party at the end where they all get <laughs> together and and sample each know. other's it's a wares? Virtual program, but you know, like I said, Hannah's going to have more to say about this school which she visited and took a lot of photos and stuff. They have a, a another class there called. I think it's called cooking with cannabis. <laughs> I mean, they huh. have so many great offerings. It's it's really fascinating to look at their website. Yeah, it's a it's a fascinating story. And again, like I said, as soon as it published yesterday, it was rolling up. Despite all the other stuff, the only things that were ahead of it were all the Buckeye stories that our team was writing, which are extremely popular. You're listening to Today in Ohio. J.D. Vance sends out near-daily press releases loaded with dog whistles and other nonsense that pushes his hardline MAGA agenda and his fealty to Donald Trump. So, Rick, I guess this latest development with him should surprise no one. What is it? So Vance hasn't even been in office yet for a year, and already he's being floated as a potential vice presidential running mate for Trump. So that came out in an Axios report this week that speculated about how Trump could potentially build out a cabinet if he's elected to another term. Uh, Vance was named among a host of other people in Trump's orbit who meet two key criteria, um, and neither one of them will probably surprise you. Loyalty to the former president, and as Axios put it, a commitment to stretch legal and government boundaries. So as for vice presidential candidates, Axios says they have to agree that the 2020 election was stolen and that Vice President Mike Pence uh, wimped out in allowing it to be certified. So that puts Vance in league with Sarah Huckabee Sanders, Kari Lake, Christy Nome. Uh, Vance already has tossed cold water on the idea. Uh, he says he's better off serving in the Senate uh, where Trump will want allies if he wins the 2024 election. Vance is a lot like Jim Jordan in the House in terms of his willingness to go after Trump critics. You mentioned his steady stream of press statements. Just this week, Vance put one out uh, that suggested a federal investigation was warranted for a Washington Post columnist who likened a second Trump term to a dictatorship. Mm -hmm. uh, Vance walked that back eventually, saying it was meant to be tongue-in-cheek and hmm. illustrate you know, what he thinks are ridiculous investigations into Trump himself. I, I've never seen anything like the stream of stuff he puts out. It's almost every day, literally almost every day, you get some ridiculous over-the-top statement. And it's kind of frightening that the chief attributes of joining the Trump cabinet is loyalty to him, not to the American people, not to the Constitution, and a willingness to violate all the rules to do whatever you want. I mean, that is why people are talking about Trump as a dictator. And he himself said he would be a dictator on day one. Um, it's just surprising that Vance has come this far from the days when he wrote his book. He was this media darling for about five minutes after his book came out. His book was a much more level-headed approach. But man, has he swung to just Trump puppet. And he was also a never Trumper, one of the first never Trumpers yeah. until he changed his mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just, it's over the top, the stuff we get. Most people don't see it and it goes straight into the garbage, but it's a near daily diatribe of ridiculous dog whistles. And I would not be surprised at all if he weren't swallowed up in the Trump administration. He's perfect for it because of his loyalty. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
We've been wondering all week why Sam Randazzo did not make a deal with prosecutors to get the latest sentence possible rather than head down the path of being indicted and going to trial. Reporter Adam Faris's story on the evidence against him makes his decision all the more inexplicable, Lisa. How strong is the case? Pretty darn strong. Uh, Case Western Reserve University law professor Michael Benza says all those text messages that went back and forth between Sam Randazzo, First Energy CEO Chuck Jones and lobbyist Mike Dowling are prosecutors gold, and they did not hold back on their language. I mean, you know, they were saying, screw anybody who isn't us, and they were bragging and boasting, and he says, you know, these texts in the indictment will make it really difficult for defense attorneys. He says it's actually better than a confession. So the 20-page Rondazzo indictment unsealed this week contained three dozen texts starting back in late 2018 when they were starting to hatch that plan, and uh, detailing the $4.3 million payment details. Um, you know, and then of course they warned Rondazzo Jones and Dally. They're like, don't forget about us or hurricane Jones may show up on your doorstep with an image of a snake popping out of a hurricane. That's a new one. I hadn't heard that one. And also the Mount Rushmore meme where they had, you know, Rondazzo and Jones and other people <laughs> on, on Mount Rushmore. So FBI and others are finding that text messages are a great basis for prosecution in many cases, from drug deals to racketeering, so much easier than a wiretap where you have to listen to hours of recorded, you know, phone calls. And they say it's made evidence gathering so easy. And people think if they delete their messages, they're gone, but they can be recovered many ways via social media, hard drive, phone memory card, or cloud storage. So it looks like these texts will... I don't know. If I was on the jury, I'd be just stop the trial now. <laughs> right. Which that's what's so remarkable about this. I mean, he's had two years to think about this. If he's talked to lawyers, the lawyers would tell him if you make a deal, you get a, a lesser prison sentence. The only way you can cut the time you're going to spend in prison is to make a deal. Matt Borges, we talked about the other day, did the same thing. And he's serving a longer time in prison than he would have if he had cut the deal. I don't get why he hasn't done it. He's, you know, maybe he's figuring I'm going to spend the rest of my life in prison no matter what. So I'll roll the dice, but you're going to lose. This case could not be stronger. I, I guarantee you his attorneys tried to get him to make the deal because who wants mm -hmm. to go into court against this? Mm -hmm. And this is so damning. It's like you said, the jurors are going to be like, why are we sitting here? This is over. I mean, it's, it's an open and shut case. It always was. Uh, someday, I hope we get an explanation from him on why he went down this road, because it is not going to end well. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's go back to marijuana. How is Cleveland City Hall altering its hiring practices to accommodate the voter-approved legalization of recreational marijuana in the state, Layla? This is another good news story. Mayor Justin Bibb announced Thursday that City Hall will no longer require pre-employment marijuana screening, screenings for some city workers. He said those screenings have hindered the city's hiring potential for literally hundreds of jobs by excluding many otherwise perfectly good job candidates. And for a lot of city jobs, now that marijuana is legal, it doesn't really matter if a city employee enjoys marijuana on their own time, as long as they don't come to work intoxicated. This won't apply to all city jobs. The exceptions include safety, security, sensitive, and security-sensitive jobs, and other positions that are governed by Federal Department of Transportation regulations. Police, fire, and EMS workers will still go through the marijuana testing, as will any city workers that require commercial driver's license or operate heavy machines or mechanical tools 
Also, jobs in the Department of Port Control, which includes the airport, they're not included in this new policy because many of those have to comply with federal standards. But for office work, Bibb says the evidence shows that recreational marijuana use in an employee's free time does not impact their ability to perform their job. I don't understand the double standard here. I, 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 if you look at marijuana like alcohol, anybody who uses it yes. outside of work for gets high for a few hours, and then they're fine. Right. They go back to being normal. And and I just I don't get it. Why why is there a difference? Why do you say okay, police officer, you can't do it? If you're arguing that police are on the job twenty four hours a day or something, okay, maybe. But I just don't get the double standard. It's if you treat it like alcohol. There is a period of inebriation you know, and then it ends. And, and, and you I mentioned would, yesterday would, that with alcohol, if you drink too yeah, much, the hangover right. is way worse for the work conditions than if you come in post high. Yeah, that's the that's the argument I was making with you yesterday. I, I honestly think that sometimes the day after a heavy night of drinking is so much more incapacitating for someone than any lingering effect of marijuana. I mean, that marijuana really is. Once you're over it, you're you're really kind of good to go. I just wonder how long it'll be before even safety forces are relieved of this drug testing requirement. And I think it'll happen once there's maybe some, you know, study done or definitive evidence that shows that marijuana use does not have long-term debilitating effects that impact one's ability to perform their duties. Look, the clearest indication if somebody is inebriated is their performance fails at work. I mean, if somebody comes in and is showing the signs of inebriation, you have probable cause to get them tested and deal with it. That's the way it's been with alcohol forever. Right. This is the same thing. If people come to work, they're doing their jobs, they're competent, you don't even have probable cause to test them at that point. And it, I don't understand why people look at marijuana so much differently. People are largely responsible. They want to keep their jobs. They don't come to work inebriated right. unless they have addiction issues. So th- this is just a strange one that we are parsing this so much and saying, well, no, you can't do it, but he can. I, I just don't follow it. But like you said, it'll shake out over the coming years. You're listening to Today in Ohio. The NCAA is in upheaval after years of refusing to remunerate athletes Letting players receive compensation for the use of their names, images, and likenesses could be evolving into a direct payment plan now. And the transfer portal, which allows players to switch schools, has dramatically changed college sports. Rick, Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost has a problem with that portal. What is he doing about it? Well, he's the attorney attorney general, so he's suing. Um, He is leading a group of seven state attorneys general in suing the NCAA over its transfer rules. He's saying that they violate federal antitrust laws. So back in 2021, the NCAA began allowing athletes to transfer schools once. But if they wanted to transfer a second time or multiple times, they are forced to sit out a year unless the NCAA grants them a waiver based on uh, medical or safety grounds. The lawsuit says it's an illegal restraint on collegiate athletes' ability to market their labor and control their education. Uh, Yost and his cohorts say that keeping college athletes on the bench costs them money by limiting their ability to gain fame and profit from uh, name, image, and likeness agreements. It's something we've heard a ton about in uh, college sports over the last few years. Um, Those are now allowed. 
They also point out that the rules are just completely arbitrary. For one, the NCAA already allows athletes to transfer once without penalty and coaches, administrators, other students on academic or music, music scholarships, they can transfer as often as they like. So why should athletes be any different? Yeah, this is just the upheaval, right? Finally, the dam broke. There's so much money in college sports that the argument that the players or amateurs kind of blew out and things are getting ahead of the NCAA. I think the NCAA ultimately would have allowed multiple transfers. Dave Yost thinks it's moving too slowly. We did have the radical proposal by the head honcho in the NCAA this week that would allow elite schools like Ohio State to just pay the athletes. We have a huge story coming about that this weekend that really goes into the details. Uh, But, you know, Yost has a great point here that this is restraining people from making money and gaining fame. And does the NCAA have that power because you're dealing with a private organization and they're the ones that bring the the kids to school or do the kids have that independence? Fascinating. How did Dave Yost get to be the lead attorney? Do we have any idea? You know, I'm not really sure about that. I mean, sometimes it just happens that, uh, you know, he's the one with the idea and uh, he kind of marshals uh, the the other attorneys general around him who also want to to get involved. So I'm I'm not entirely sure why he was the the lead on this one. It'll be interesting to see what happens first. The NCA just changing the rules or settling the lawsuit. I don't I wonder if they allowed him to run the other attorneys general because he wants to run for governor and they want to give him some exposure. I don't know. We'll see. It's today in Ohio. Some Cleveland women who were raped long ago are finally getting some justice or at least some peace of mind that they haven't had before. Based on new genealogy DNA tests, Lisa, it's a bunch of cases. What are the details? Yeah, Cuyahoga County prosecutors have this unit called Genetics Operation Linking DNA, or GOLD, the GOLD unit. And what they're doing is they're using gene and familial DNA testing to identify suspects. So far, they've identified eight suspects in 14 cases using DNA tests from a group called Gene by Gene, which is a private company, and also using the crime lab of Ohio's Bureau of Criminal Investigation. So this week, they've identified three suspects and six unsolved rapes. Um, Two of the suspects are deceased, Thomas Graham and Carlos Conley. Um, They were ID'd in three cases in 1993, 94, and 98 on Cleveland's West Side. They were part of a group of men who gang raped their victims. Some of these uh, suspects are still unknown. The other is 62-year-old Kenneth Edmond. He was arrested Wednesday and he appears in common police court today. He was charged with rape, kidnapping, and robbery and attacks on two women under town downtown bridges in 2000 and 2001, including a 72-year-old homeless woman under the Detroit Superior Bridge and a 21-year-old woman under I-90 near East 9th and Carnegie. And they're already submitting more profiles. So they have 43 more DNA profiles that they've been submitting for analysis. This is just yet another example of, of tech making crime solving easier. Can you imagine being the victims and finding out two decades later or more what the details were of your attacker. You got to imagine that they've spent a lot of those years wondering where that guy is. Is he, mm-hmm. is he a threat? And in the case where the guys escaped justice because they've died, at least now the victims know they're no longer they're a gone. threat. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
What is going on with COVID a few weeks before Christmas? Are we seeing the most cases in Ohio that we've had since last Christmas? Layla, what's it going to mean when we all get together with our families and friends? Oh, man, it feels like we're in trouble based on these numbers, Chris. Julie Washington tells us that the new the, the number of new COVID-19 cases in Ohio jumped this week. The seven-day average was 1,888 a day or 13,215 for the week. That's higher than the average of 1,604 a day reported on November 30th, which included an eight-day stretch over the Thanksgiving holiday when a total of 12,835 new cases were reported. The last time that the seven-day weekly case number surpassed 10,000 was way back in January after we had that rash of COVID blow through here. Weekly case numbers have been on the rise since mid-October, and hundreds of people are still being hospitalized with COVID every week. Dozens of them end up in the ICU, and still dozens more die of COVID each week. About 43,000 people have died of COVID since the beginning of the pandemic. The promising news is that more than a million Ohioans have received the updated one-dose COVID-19 vaccine. That's about 9% of the state's population. I do feel like just in the course of my job and my life that I have probably encountered a half dozen people that I've heard of or talked to that have had it just in recent weeks. So it does feel like it's spreading. This doesn't, it, it, the story didn't say it, but is there a possibility that this number jumped because of the Thanksgiving gatherings? Did we, did all that family gathering spread it? I think that's always a possibility, right? But, uh, but, uh, yeah, especially considering that that crossing that threshold of 10,000 uh, happened over that Thanksgiving holiday and people are, you know, gathering in, in numbers like that, of course. Um, yeah, I, I would bet. And then also, of course, we're, we're, we're back indoors and we've always said that there's that link between being, you know, kind of cloistered up together, uh, huddled in inside uh, rather than outdoors and, and spread, spread apart. Um, I just, we're going to be dealing with this for years and years, probably forever. Yeah. I, I, Lisa, you've mentioned you've been seeing a lot more people with masks when you're mm -hmm. out and about. Mm -hmm. And not just older people, too. I mean, I've seen them on babies. I've seen them on moms. So, yeah, people are saying, I don't want to catch this. They've seen how bad it is from their own personal experience or that of friends and family. I still haven't had it. I don't think you have either. And that nope. makes it scary, right? Because it's spreading <laughs> again. And, you know, the first time you get it, you get wild. My wife had it this fall. I thought for sure I'd fall, but I still haven't had it. Scary numbers. I hope people take precautions over the holiday. It's today in Ohio. Rick, glad you're here. Let's talk about the roller coaster ride that has been the marijuana law this week. We started the week with the Senate ready to gut the law that voters approved. And on Wednesday night, most of that fell away and they came up with a pretty reasonable compromise. Do you have any idea how that happened? Well, it wasn't quite lame duck levels of chaos in the legislature on Wednesday, but it was up there. Uh, so like you said, on Monday, the Ohio Senate unveils its bill to make changes to what voters approved in November. It would have eliminated home grow altogether, sliced THC concentration levels in a significant way, increased the tax rate. Uh, but looking back on that now, it, it appears that was never really a serious proposal. It's probably better to think about that now as an opening offer and what has turned into some pretty protracted negotiations between uh, the state Republican leaders in both the Senate, the House and the governor's office. 
So you've got uh, Matt Huffman, the Ohio Senate president, and Governor Mike DeWine kind of in one corner together. Since the immediate aftermath of the election, they've both been saying there needs to be some urgency about making changes to the law before it took effect on December 7th. And the other, you've got House Speaker Jason Stevens, who's essentially saying, what's the rush? So after the Senate unveiled its proposal, representatives from both chambers went to work negotiating behind the scenes over the course of several days. Uh, the, the House came out with its own proposal, but the, the lead negotiator there um, made a pretty key point that they were in a great negotiating position because they were content with letting the uh, initiated statute go into effect. There wasn't a, a great rush for them. But then you know, on Wednesday, we're kind of twisting in the wind most of the day to see what would happen. And then the Senate passes a dramatically different proposal from what we saw earlier in the week. So home grow was back on the table. THC levels were reduced compared with what the, the law voters adopted, but they were higher than the original Senate proposal. And then they kind of blew everyone away by saying that we shouldn't have to wait to purchase marijuana at recreational dispensaries uh, until later next year. They wanted recreational sales to begin immediately in medical dispensaries. So DeWine runs to the podium to throw support behind it and urge the House to adopt it the very same night so they, they can get these changes in place as quickly as possible. But the House had already adjourned. So there's no session scheduled until the middle of next week. And even if the House agreed with the proposal, which it doesn't really appear to, there's no way it was getting through in time to preempt the new law. So this kind of stretches on. And if you want to start growing pot today, nobody's going to stop you. I, I just was surprised by this because the talk had been so strong. And I wondered whether somebody did a poll and found out that voters were furious. We hear from a lot of voters on both sides of the political spectrum that are not happy that the legislature was just going to slap voters in the face. There, there's just that basic sense of fair play. The voters spoke and here the lawmakers are saying the hell with them. We're going to do what we want. And I, and I know there was no evidence and we haven't heard anything to say there was a survey, but I just, the, the, the fact that this changed so dramatically, I bet somebody has some kind of poll that shows voters are ready to run them out on a rail. So they did something really reasonable. What they ended up passing is, is does not fly in the face of voters at all, right? And as for the, the immediate sale, I think they want that tax money, right? Yeah, I, I think there, there's an element of wanting the, the tax money. But the, the argument that uh, DeWine made about the immediate sale was that if you're going to legalize it and say that people can possess it legally, but not give them a, uh, a realistic avenue um, to acquire it, then you're essentially kind of paving the road for um, illicit markets and uh, for people to, you know, Go, go across the border and bring it back to Ohio. So I, I think that that was, um, you know, the, the kind of overriding um, idea behind making the, the whole thing immediate. But going back to your poll, like it, it, it's a cliche in, in politics, but I'll, I'll use it anyway. You know, the, the most important poll is election day, right? Yeah. And, and we had election day in August and we had election day in November. And in November, the, the people said that they wanted recreational marijuana and they approved the, the proposal that was in front of them. And um, to your point uh, about, uh, you know, potentially uh, kind of slapping voters in the, in the face a little bit, uh, they rejected issue one in August. Do you think that um, there was a certain person that was leading this charge to come up with a reasonable compromise? I mean, was it DeWine? Was it, I can't believe it would be Huffman because he's not reasonable, but was there somebody involved in this that was saying, hey, hey, we can get there? 
I, I would, I don't know for sure. I mean, uh, DeWine, uh, will often, um, sort of, you know, throw his hands up and leave things to, to the legislature and say publicly, you know, when this comes across my desk, um, you know, whatever the final version is, I'll make a decision on it. Then he, he often plays coy about, about those sorts of things, but, um, it does seem like he was more involved here and, and when things get serious and when he really cares about something, it seems like he does, uh, tend to, to get more involved um so I, I think it's entirely possible that that he was trying to to make this happen um and uh you know we're, we're in a situation right now where uh the the senate president and the the speaker of the house are at political odds because it's a completely open secret that matt huffman the senate president is going to run for the house next year and he wants to be the speaker of the house and jason stevens wants to keep that gavel. So uh, it, anytime they, they get into a situation like this, that is the undercurrent in all of this. That is the politics that, that is happening uh, huh. here. But well. it, it sounded like from earlier reporting, like yesterday, that Representative Jamie Callender from Lake County was kind of leading negotiations in the House, and he seemed to have a reasonable take. He didn't want the limits, the possession limits, or the home grow things to go away. So I don't know how instrumental he is in the negotiation, but... Uh, he he's definitely uh, the the lead negotiator on on that side. I mean, the, this is often what happens is that you have um, you know uh, rank and file members or, or committee uh, leaders who are uh, kind of doing the the face to face negotiations, but the the leaders are um, kind of the the people in, in charge, and that stuff is being run run past them. And uh, you know, often they're kind of carrying the water for for leadership and for the the caucus at large, and what they feel like can get passed within their respective chamber. All right. Well, it sounds silly that you have to say something like this, but you got to commend Mike DeWine in the Senate for actually respecting the will of the voters. You're listening to Today in Ohio. That wraps up the week of news. Thank you, Rick, for being here. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks to everybody who listens. We will be back Monday to talk about some more news. 